Hello, I'm Dylan. And I'm Keon. And this is Zenith, that podcast where we only drink to socialize, because this week we watched Rumors of Death. Written by Chris Boucher. Directed by Fiona Cumming. Hey, I recognize that name from Doctor Who. Yeah, and aired on February 25th, 1980. Yeah, 1980. Yeah, just 1980. Remember, yeah. I don't know why you made it sound like, like you were going to no, say I, another number no, after that. No, I mean, I don't know why I forgot what year this came out, because I know they're coming out in the 80s. In, in, in 80, not the 80s. 80. <laughs> Yeah, Fiona Cumming was on Doctor Who. Well, she wasn't on. She directed Doctor Who. Yeah, I mean, that's what I meant. She was on the production crew. I don't She directed stuff. Oh, she directed... No, she directed, like, Enlightenment, I think, and stuff from that era. Did she direct uh, Castro Valva for some reason? Yeah, she she directed Castro Valva. She directed... um, What was right before Castro Valva? The last fourth Doctor story. Whatever that was, she directed that, I believe. Man, oh man. We're looking her up right now, so we're going to confirm what it was. Yeah. Uh, her credits include Castro Valva, Snake Dance, Enlightenment, oh, maybe she didn't most write. of Planet of Fire. Yeah, she didn't write for the Fourth Doctor, I guess. Snake direct, Dance. you mean? Yeah, sorry, direct. Snake Dance is my favorite Fifth Doctor story. And this is one of my favorite episodes of Blake Seven. She was also production assistant on The Mutants, The Seeds of Death, and The Highlanders, and assistant floor manager on The Massacre. Ooh, a blight on her record. <laughs> Anyone being involved in The Massacre is a blight on their record. That absolute tragedy of television. Tragedy because it sucks, not because it's sad. Speaking of Doctor Who, we're still airing in the interseason era. It's nothing new to note there. Speaking of having in the interseason era, this is a bad segue, but we're completely just dis- destroying the question segment of the show. Oh, yeah. We got feedback from a couple of listeners. People. We got feedback from two people. If you remember, the uh, Sergeant Reno sent us an email a couple weeks ago saying mm-hmm. that our question segment wasn't really working in its current form, and we ha- we received we had, another email. Which we, was, we should have responded to last week. Right, yeah. When this goes out from... Uh, new correspondent Maurice who also said that the question segment just wasn't really working so we're scrapping it we're scrapping, so we're scrapping it, it completely we're just going to scrap it completely maybe in the future we can reboot it in a new form but for now we're just completely scrapping it and that's what we're going to do not to say I, I mean I came up with a question for this episode but we're just scrapping it so that question will never see the light of day it'll stay firmly in my head for the rest of my life you might forget it I probably will. Now that we're not doing these anymore, I'll just forget it. Anyway, I guess that's uh, all the particulars out of the way. Except for, I guess, we originally, many weeks ago, said we were going to be doing this episode with the Crinoid podcast, uh, the Doctor Who podcast, Jim and Martin. Unfortunately, just due to scheduling things, that wasn't able to work out. But we will have Jim and Martin on the show at some point. We're working with them to figure out uh, an episode that we will be able to record with right. anybody together. And since we're talking about it, we're having frequent correspondent RG mm-hmm. uh, on next week to record Sarcophagus with us. Right. Should be interesting. The first female guest we've had on e- all of our shows. Yeah, yes. <laughs> And first person from Australia on Zenith. So, should be uh, should be an interesting episode, I think. Right. And that'll be next week. And then now, with all the particulars actually out of the way, we can get into the rumors of death. Or just rumors of death. Well, I was saying, like, the rumors of death, because I was going to say, like, the episode, but then I said the title no. instead of episode. Well, there are rumors of death in this, so you could just be, it could be lowercase, the rumors of death. Yeah, that's true, I suppose. <laughs> The rumors of death in the rumors of death. Or sorry, the rumors of death in rumors of death. So it begins. Well, so where does it begin? It begins with Avon in a cell. Yeah, it begins with Avon being tortured in a cell. This is a, we- this is a strange cell. opening for Blake 7. We don't really, we've never really seen anything like this. It's I pretty think. rare for Blake 7 to start in the middle of a story. Except, I mean, the one that really is the only one I th- can remember that's even close to this is Trial. That starts with Travis right. being brought in. Right. And then, even then it's not that similar. Because typically we start with... You know, there is a structure to Blake 7 episodes. They're we start on, with they're the, on the bridge and they're doing something dumb, like playing a card game. <laughs> they're doing something dumb on the bridge, and then the, whoever the leader is at the moment, whether it be Avon or Blake, goes... Or Tarrant trying to step up to the Tarrant plate and failing. Or Tarrant trying to be leader, being like, yo, 
my dudes, let's do X, Y, and Z this week. And, and then, then someone's the rest like, of, no, that's a bad yeah, idea. Someone and, like, <laughs> and they just brush them under the rug. <laughs> they throw them under the rug. They ignore any Ignore any and all descent, warning signs. <laughs> and then they just go and do it. Typically, uh, if we don't want to start with the bridge, we'll start with Servalan or Travis. Uh, but we always cut to the bridge. We always get the <laughs> meeting on the bridge. We always find out what we're doing on the bridge. This is the structure of a Blake 7 episode that this episode completely subverts and throws out. Boo! Never do this again! <laughs> What is this? It's true, though. If they keep doing this, it'll get really grating. Not that the previous format hasn't become really <laughs> grating either. I don't think it has, honestly. I, I like almost all the openings to the episodes. Yeah, well, that's because even though the format is get the mission on the bridge, go do the mission, they don't always start on the bridge. Sometimes we start well, with Servaland. Sometimes we start with Travis. And there's always pretty good dialogue here, too. Right. Which but this is a this is a unique sort of opening, which was nice. Anyway, Avon's being tortured by this guy named Shrinker and he's like, Tell me your name. I know you have a tracking beacon in it. Who's coming for you? And he's like, Well, tracking beacon doesn't work till I turn it off and I just did and then Tarrant and Dana beam in. Right, and Shrinker is the the guy from Avon's past. So in the beginning of this story, we um like in Dawn of the Gods with Callie, we get more info like on Avon's past, and we follow up with that a little bit. But unlike Dawn of the Gods, we don't get a refresher as to his backstory until a little bit later in the episode, and even then, it's not a great refresher. Yeah. So I wish there was something more here. And I realize that that's hard to put in the episode without like having this aside. Like, remember when we discussed my past? <laughs> remember when like, we discussed this woman I loved? <laughs> I realize that that's hard, but I wish. There was something more you there because I, anyway. because I kind of forget. I, I kind of forgot what it was. And that's on me, I guess. I could have just gone back to that scene mm-hmm. in Countdown, but I didn't. I also didn't go back and rewatch. What did I say I was going to rewatch? Well, Volcano. Last, not uh, that, but what was last week? I've completely <laughs> me too. on what it was called. A City at the Edge of Forever. No, that was two weeks ago. Yep. I just edited that episode. So... The Edge of the World Forever is from Star Trek. Yeah, you're right. Children of Oron. Right. Didn't go back and watch Children of Oron. I'm sure nobody's surprised. I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. <laughs> I'm just disappointed in you. Just disappointed. My thing, day is ruined and my disappointment is immeasurable. The only thing that match your lack of surprise is your the amount of disappointment you have. Yes. <laughs> anyway, I just want to touch on something that I'm going to probably touch on frequently through this episode, which is that this episode, this is kind of like my idea, like controlling idea for what this episode is. And this episode really drives home what Series C is, right? Which is that the Federation is gone now. There's not this monolith that's in control. There's not this information control that there was in Series A and B. You know, you think back to the beginning of Blake 7, what is one of the first things that the Federation does and what is... How is there, how are they established as you know the, the bad guys, right? Is that they manipulate information in the very first episode. Mm-hmm. And Series C is like this post, I don't know if I want to even use this term, but I'm going to anyway, so I guess I do in some capacity. Is like this is is the Blake Seven universe post truth. Mm-hmm. And that's even I was thinking about this, that's even done in the intro, right? You think about the series A and B intro, there's it's like the you know, the exterminate sign, it's almost as if it's a wanted poster, and you see the the security camera and stuff there's surveillance surveillance is a big thing in series a especially near the beginning of the show in series b as well and control how the federation controls information series c you know the federation's gone there's not this monolith of truth anymore there's it's the intro is ships flying free man it's just just ships flying free yeah running free in the pastures (laughs) i mean it's almost like the thing i it is that, in my opinion, it reminded me a lot of the thing I brought up in Harvest of Kairos, where this has been this swap in Series C, where yep. no longer is it Blake, the Thorn, and the Federation side. It's the Federation being the Thorn and the Liberator crew's side. And this episode is actually really about that. You think of, If you think of Series A and B as Blake trying to destabilize the Federation's very controlling, you know, this, this iron fist of information that they have and this control of, like, this, like, this singularity of truth almost that they have. And now that's sort of reversed. There is no, like, one... Mm-hmm. There's there's no single truth, and this episode actually touches on that, yet Servalan is the one who now is trying to reestablish all of that. Right, I mean, it even goes so far as they land on the planet, they find out there's a revolution going on, and they're just like, we don't really care, we just hit the Servalan. 
Yeah, we actually get a little bit about that now. We cut to, I forget what her, she has many names. I forget what they are. I mean, I'm probably just going to refer to her as Anna. Yeah, because I didn't want to say that, but yes, Anna and Chescu. And you, this is what you spoiled, right? This is You spoiled that this was Anna. Yes, last week, because I was like, man, I'm really upset that I spoiled XYZ. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was that Sula, her name Sula. is Sula, is Anna. Which of those and is her real name? Probably none of them. Bartholomew. Probably not Bartholomew. <laughs> really suck. Her parents probably hated her if it was Bartholomew. <laughs> we wanted a boy. No, and I, I will name you Bartholomew. <laughs> you know, I don't know. You know who knows? And that's that's a that's a really important thing I think too is who knows what the what the heck her real name is. I'm just gonna but refer I'm to refer- it. I'm just gonna refer to it as Anna. Right. Me too. Because it's easiest. I don't think that the, that spoiler is necessary. I don't think that that was a big crux of the episode. I think the thing that comes right after that, which is that she's backstabbed Avon, is bigger. Well, it's not even really a, a reveal because throughout the episode, Avon has these flashbacks to Anna. And if you're perceptive enough, which is most people, you realize that it's the exact same actress. I, I as actually, Sula. I didn't notice that, but I did question. I did say midway through the episode, like, "Oh, it's Sula's probably Anna," but hmm. I didn't pick up on that it was the same actress for some reason. Hmm, that's interesting, actually. The only thing they'd really do to hide it is her hair looks a bit different. But even not then, that much different, though. I did go back and rewatch though, like one of the scenes, one of the flashback scenes, and I was like, okay, yeah, it's her. It's totally obvious, but you know, I just didn't pick up on it. Anyway, she's walk. They're walking down this path, and Chescu is reciting this speech, which is what he's going to give at this sort of. They're planning for like this reinstatement of the Federation. Yeah, they're gonna like crown. Serverland, Serverland president. It's interesting to use the word crown and president in the same sentence like yeah. that, but it's basically but, what's happening here. But this role also, you think of president, and that's just like a title, right? How mm-hmm. it's used worldwide today is pretty uniform. Well, right. actually, maybe not. But like, you can be called president and be a dictator, which is you know what yeah. Serverland is basically becoming. <clears throat> Putin. <laughs> And uh, Chescu's like, so how was that? And Sula says, I guess well, speech sucked. Anna, she says, like, that was tacky and just terrible. And he's like, good. Or she, yeah. And then she's like, surprise, I'm a rebellion. The rebellion's not as dead as you said it was. I am the rebellion. <laughs> I am the rebellion. And then she just guns him down. Oh, no, and I was I like, wow. The, the Senate. Senate. She's Damn. just like, oh, wow. He tries to run away. <laughs> she shoots him in the back. And I was like, wow, that's just- cold. <laughs> And then we cut to Shrinker he, on the ship he, with Avon. Here, here's the thing about this. This is all taking place on this mansion on Earth, right? Mm-hmm. And here's the thing about this episode, because this really frames what this episode is. This was the only real big minus for me in this. And that's that there's nothing really cool about this setting. You think of like what Blake said. Oh, what? Done. I thought the setting was awesome. Well, here, here's, here, hear me out. There's this, think of like Dawn of the Gods, right? There's a, a freaking god like creating his own empire from inside of a black hole you think of these other stories like the web and all these other cool places they've gone planets and stuff like that and like this is just in a a house on earth and a cave and a cell and that's fine for an episode sure i thought it was awesome we have this estate i thought that was this really cool juxtaposition between like what's a typical science fiction setting right like Using science fiction. The center of a black hole with a god. Yeah, like <laughs> something like in space, a spaceship or a futuristic research facility or like a lab or... All things we've had All things related to like... Constantly. Science, typically. And then this is like, this is in a state. This is something that's very regal and Victorian almost. A lot of the inside did look very like... The inside 60s, is... 60s, almost yeah. Bond-like, I want to say. Right. It's all like authentic wood, and it kind of there's like no me, technology in this house. Reminded me of Ocean's Eleven, the classic one. Yeah, in some ways, Ruben's house. But it's all very low tech. There's no technology there except for the communicators. Like, and I love, I love the set for the security room because you could tell <laughs> that you could tell that it was a room in the house that they had just like put these security consoles in. Like they had converted this room. To the security room, like give that's them not lawn what chairs it was. To sit in, those freaking got to sit down for twelve hours a day. And yeah, I love that. Think you'd give them more comfortable chairs, but it just sucks for them. I loved how you could tell that this was a room in a very old estate that they had converted specifically for this purpose. 
Like, I love that juxtaposition there. I thought it was great. Uh, I didn't. I thought it was great. I like great. the more out there things. It's even one of my few notes. Security room looks good. <laughs> my notes are like that's really so, brief. Solid four words. Security room looks good. Most simple. Of, drives home the point. My notes are usually like four to five words tops because I tend to dislike writing full sentences. I handwrite my note. It's key on types is so he can write full sentences. And I handwrite mine. And I'm just not down for writing full sentences. I think the longest note yeah, I've ever written here is my notes. that was the worst bow ever. And then instead of saying by Tarrant, I wrote the little ampersand at sign Tarrant. <laughs> Which I'm going to talk about that later because that bow was god awful and ruined the entire episode. No, it <laughs> can't ruin the entire episode. Maybe just <laughs> Maybe that it scene. It can, but I question what, the, what you got out of this episode if that ruined the entire thing. <laughs> So Avon interrogates Shrinker. He takes him down to this cave. Well, so they, everybody they gangs up, up actually, on Shrinker and Callie's like... Later, and as soon as Avon gets up, Villa hands him this glass of what looks like pee. <laughs> and I was like, it no, was, it's that's the, my note. It's like, it's thought the, you might like this nice, cool glass of piss. <laughs> and, you know, Sergeant Reno in his email mentioned uh, Bayban feeding Villa, you know, fecal matter <laughs> the other day. <laughs> No, but this is that bright green drink that they drank like a couple weeks ago that Making Blake Seventh said he thought was right, creme de menthe, right. which by the way, I looked up and it sounds delicious. And I discovered there's like an actual cocktail that you make with creme de menthe yeah. and a, an alcohol called Amarula, which is surprisingly South Africa actually has an alcohol that's like specific to it, you know, like scotch is like Scotland and whiskey is Ireland. South Africa, it's Amarula, which is made from the fruit of the Amarula tree. Huh. Uh, which ferments, and here's a fun fact, uh, the logo of the Amarula drink is an elephant because the elephants eat the Amarula fruit and then get drunk. Huh. But there's a cocktail that you make with, fun fact, creme de menthe and Amarula, and those are the only two Jesus. ingredients. How much? And it's called a springbok. What, how alcoholic or like how potent is this thing if it gets elephants <laughs> drunk? <laughs> Very... <laughs> Never yeah, had it. It's an absinthe tier thing. <laughs> I've never had it, but we have a bottle of it in my house. <laughs> and then this this cocktail, I assume, is very powerful too, since creme de menthe is actually alcoholic as well. Right. Let's call it a springbok. After the springbok, which is an animal native to Africa and is also the mascot of the South African rugby team. Huh. Anyway, I'm pretty sure this is creme de menthe, and they're actually getting smashed on the sand. Well, Villa definitely is later. But you're right. They sort of gang up on, on Shrinker here. And right. Callie doesn't want any part of it. She says that they're, they're turning into animals or something like that. Or, like, Shrinker's animality of, you know, the atrocities he committed is contagious. Even yeah. Villa joins in the fun. The fun? <laughs> yeah. You calling it fun is indicative of the fact that, yeah, it's contagious. Like, you consider that to be fun. Yeah. You know, ganging up on the weak. Is he weak, though? In this moment, is he, he actually is. weak or is he like pretending? I think is the big question that has to be asked here because Shrinker is an expert interrogator. He knows how to get information from people. Do you really think he's weak or do you think he's just pretending because he thinks he can find out what's going on if he pretends to be weak? I think it's a bit of both because I think in this scene, his power is really taken away from him. They take, they take away his weapons, he's outnumbered and stuff like that. Um, but I also think definitely when they get in the cave, he is, he's considering his options. Yeah, because you know, now Avon comes back and takes him down to the cave. Right, as, and, as, and as much in this scene, I did like the cave set, it looked really cool. As much in this scene as Avon wants to think he's in control, and, you know, he, he mostly is, but, you know, Shrinker is, he's not cowering in a corner or anything. He's he's considering his options, I think. I did uh, I did want to touch on the cave set before we get into what this, you know, the stuff in this scene. I liked the the sound in this. You know, Did you notice the, the water droplets and stuff like that? Not much. I didn't notice it a lot, but it oh, was I noticed there. it a lot. Yeah, it was in the background, and it was great. I thought the cave set was the weakest set of the story overall, because, like I said, I just love the security room, and I love the house and the outside areas, which are great. Which, by the way, simultaneous while this is all happening, Anna's basically taken over the house. Right. We can just sort of sum this up because it's just her running around the lawn a little bit with her. <laughs> we actually, I think this is the first time we see Federation troopers talk, and they're not they're they're traitors, obviously, yeah. but. I think this is the first time where we like get a Federation trooper on screen in a mask in his full suit and he's talking. There's a security fault which was tripped by Anna's people, but one of the her people are like disguised as Federation troopers, so they just 
hold up like a mouse to the camera or a bird and they're like, they're making nests in the security system. Right. Nothing to be worried about the, here. The guys in the security room are like, they're like, all right. And, you know, they, they have a, they have their own sort of personalities as well. You know, they're not major characters, but enough is there. The one guy, like, stole all his mother's money and ran off and stuff like that. Well, the one guy would have saved the whole story if the other guy had listened to him and actually shut down the perimeter as soon as the security yeah. system went down. <laughs> Uh, shout out to that guy, most underrated Federation officer ever. And Serverland, I want to bring up Serverland's outfit this story because it's a combination white and black, which I think is interesting because it brings back that regal white that she wore basically her entire run, but also integrates the black that I think uh, Jacqueline Pierce wanted to bring in when all her children were killed in Children of Allround last week. Sure. And it serves as kind of this, this meld between the two because the top is white and the bottom is black. Almost like a hybrid. Also, she's not wearing a bra again. <laughs> so, just getting back to Shrinker for a minute. I don't know if you noticed this, but they turn, both in the cave and on the Liberator, Avon and the rest of them turn their backs on Shrinker constantly. They just mm. leave him unattended and look away from him constantly. And I was like, I wouldn't feel comfortable doing that as much as you guys seem to do. I know they take his guns away, but still, you'd, I'd be scared of him making a break for it, which he doesn't, but... You know? Surprisingly, but I mean, Avon, where would he Avon go? Even says when they get down in the caves, Avon's like, "Don't we're in the center of a large cave system? Don't even try running." <laughs> He's like, uh, uh, "I guess he decides his chances are better with Avon than running through this cave system." Avon's like, "No, no, yeah. what did I do? What do you, what do you guys want from me? I'm innocent. I'm innocent. You gotta believe me." And he shows him a picture of Anna, and he's like, "Yeah, you remember her? You remember her?" And he's like, "No, actually, I don't. Never tortured her. Never saw her. Don't know who she is." But Ab- there's a painting, like a cave yeah. painting of Anna on the wall. I guess Avon prepared it. I guess his revenge was that planned out. I thought out. he was like projecting it on the wall, actually, honestly. Maybe that's what it was. But even even that, like, he he wanted this revenge I, to be long and sweet. I, I, for some reason, seem to remember it like phasing in when Shrinker's looking mm, at it. But maybe I'm remember. mistaken. I don't remember, honestly. But regardless, whatever it is, he freaking planned this thing out meticulously. Yes. Which, again, is kind of a weird turn for all of a sudden Avon wants revenge on Shrinker. Well, next week we'll go back to normal and uh, do nothing. Shrinker then reveals that Anna didn't die at his hand. She died at the hands of some Federation officer named Bartholomew. Apparently, everybody who Avon looked at was brought in for questioning because of the bank robbery. Right, and this this is a scene where, again, I wish they detailed his backstory more than they did. But whatever. Especially, this is actually especially a problem if you were watching this live as it aired in the mm-hmm. 80s because there's pretty much, unless you taped it or recorded the audio or something, there's no way you would have been able to go back and watch it. I mean, now, this is sort of on me now. I can just pull up a uh, countdown in five seconds and go to that part of the episode, but back then you couldn't have done that. Right. Yeah, the most refreshing we get is, is right now, actually, he has a flashback and she's talking to him and he's like... He has this line... and. Uh, I wrote down the exact line. It's Anna asks if she trusts him, and he says trust is. He says yes, and then she responds like with something along the lines of, "Don't you think that's dangerous?" And he says, "Trust is only dangerous when you have to rely on it." Which is interesting, based hmm. on what happens later. I think. Interesting. And all this this scene is setting up like this story, right? I mean, Avon. Uh, well, we'll we'll just touch on this now. So. In series A and B, we get these sort of, mostly B actually, we get these sort of stories, actually yeah, as well, we get these stories for the characters, right? We get Callie's backstory to some extent, we get Avon's to some extent, but these are simple in series A and B, they're, you know, not too detailed, we get what's given to us and, you know, we're expected that, we expect like, okay, that's, you know, what it is. Series C, like, comes back and and complicates a lot of that. Right. It destabilizes a lot of that, I think. It makes you wonder, like, you know, what what's really going on here? Who's telling the truth? What is, like, all these different people are accessing the truth. And in this moment, Avon has to put together these things. Whereas, like, mean, you know, meanwhile, as all this is happening, Servalan is trying to establish, like, the Federation, again, as this monolith of truth. But Avon, in this episode, very much has to sift through these stories from multiple different people, from multiple different perspectives, and put together like his own version of the truth at the end and, and that's done in the, you know at the end he's still even though Anna may not have even really existed he still like loves Anna to some extent or like mm-hmm. the, the idea of her and he has to piece all of this together from Shrinker's story from what he knows from what Sula tells him from what Servalan tells him mm-hmm. 
and it's all just really it's trippy and I don't think I'm even scratching the surface of what's going on in this story I mean this story is Avon's Terminator moment really if you think about it he just collates this information and goes okay well X has gotta die and then right when he's about to kill X they're like no 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 no, wait 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 what you actually want is Y and then he goes well I guess Y has to die and then when they go no 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 actually what you want is Z right because Shrinker tells them that Bartholomew was Chuka. You mean Chescu? Uh, Chescu, sorry. And he go, uh, Avon goes, okay, well, so then it must be Chescu. So he beams up back to the Liberator right now, and he asks Orak, hey, find out where Servalan is, find out how I can get there, and also look up Chescu, Counselor Chescu. Did they leave Shrinker down in the cave? Yeah, he left Shrinker in the Man. cave. He, left, he leaves Shrinker oh, he in the cave. Shrinker the gun, and he's like, more than most people would do, or something like that. Yeah. Man, Shrinker is dead. Yeah. Probably. <sighs> wow. And then Avon, apparently, everybody goes along with this. Villa and Dana and Terrence are like, yeah, we'll come down to the planet with you and help you topple a regime and try to find your long-lost love and who killed her. There's this line, I forget who, when he says this, but Avon says, I'm a man of my word. In the end, there's all that's all there is, really. Mm-hmm. And, man, I love that line because that's what this episode is all about, right? It's like these this interplay of, like, words and how those inform reality, how these multiple different stories, like, eventually coalesce and, like, form this version of reality that is specific to Avon and is specific to all these different sort of people, um, yet the Federation is so against that. Right. I don't know, man. It's just, it's hard to wrap my head around. <laughs> it's interesting, I think. Avon's been on this search for two episodes to find who killed Anna, and all he has to go on is, I guess, all these people. There's no records that he can access, even though he has ORAC who can access every Federation computer. You know, there's no records he just accesses to go, well, who killed Anna? But also, like, even that one, the Federation is destroyed, so, like, their centralized truth bank is, like, no longer available. And well, also, like, what would what would he have found there? I was actually question. thinking about that. Like, wouldn't Orak have been really nerfed with the destruction of the Federation since, like, he drew all yeah. that information and processing from the Federation computers, and without the Federation now, you know, how many of those computers actually still exist? Right. There's also the question of, like, the, and Series C has really made me think about this. They, you know, when they used ORAC to tap into the Federation, they're just getting one perspective of these events. Or if they look up events like this, you know, if like, for example, if they had looked up, you know, what got what what uh, happened in Blake's second trial, and they would have found out, well, he's a child molester. That's what they would have, they would have found out the Federation's version of the truth and their monopoly on the truth. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I think having a monopoly on the truth is a, is an aspect of any, like, totalitarian oh, yeah. regime. Yep. Which the Federation clearly was, if it still is, is a, is a matter of debate, since well, we really don't know the extent of what exists of the Federation beyond Servalan and whoever her lackeys are. Well, this, to me, is what this story is all about, right? Servalan trying to reestablish this monopoly on information by reestablishing the Federation. Serverland in this story really is just a pawn when you think about it. Uh, she's not really the main villain behind this. She lucks out at the end, and then she's very menacing, I think, in the f- sort of final scene with her. But it could have gone wrong for her very easily. It did go wrong. She gets it, thrown it, uh, in the freaking basement. Yeah, I mean, like I said, she lucks out massively at the end of this. So Avon and his pals teleport down, and then they find a dead Federation officer, and Avon just walks off, and then Tarrant's like, you guys go after him. And this is when Tarrant calls up Villa, and he's like, Villa, I need you to stay on the line and stay sober. And then I thought this was really funny. It just, like, smash cuts to Villa with a huge flask full of that green drink, and then, like, a regular-sized gloss that he fills up, and then he's like, that's not fair. I only drink to socialize. And then he slams back the entire gloss, and I'm like, What? I think they're all, they're all down there, right? Cal isn't is Callie? I know Dana, Callie, Callie Dana goes and Tarrant down. are for sure. Callie goes down. Yeah, they all go down except for Villa. Callie doesn't have much in this episode, which I think is fine because Dana and Tarrant I think have the bulk of the lines at least. Tarrant more so than Dana. Yes, well, we're coming up to ta- to Tarrant's his bow. <laughs> but it yeah. doesn't actually ruin the episode. I'm being facetious. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but it is terrible. It's like that kiss he blew in Harvest of Kairos. <sighs> Oh, so what happens is 
uh, Dana basically sneaks up on uh, they Dana and Callie kill a bunch of Federation officers and then uh, Tarrant gives him a bow and it uh, you know Stephen Pacey apparently never learned how to bow apparently no one on set was like here's how you bow apparently no one looked at this footage and was like Stephen well maybe it's Tarrant like just Steven. being a just being a massive mess up and stuff <laughs> Stephen what are you doing Stephen I wish I, I'm gonna try just make a gif just of that bow <laughs> post it on Twitter for like a week sure I already have the the Tarrant blowing a kiss gif. Shout out to making Blake 7 for that. <laughs> yeah, get ready for Tarrant failing at bowing. And they break into the to the house. But there's meanwhile there's dissent among the ranks. The 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 coup has basically succeeded. And they're gonna hold this meeting as to what to do next. Apparently they didn't decide what to do next. <laughs> I think all great revolutions but, but, reach this point. I think this was all part of Anna's plan, right? Because she's like, I'm not gonna tell them what we're gonna do, even though I'm the leader, and then I'm gonna instate myself and it's gonna go totally fine, nothing to worry about. Right. Well, cause the men want to kill Serverland because they're like, Serverland has ruled over us for too long. We should just cut the head off the Hydra now. And then Anna's like, no, 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 no. If she dies, she, she says, I think, if she dies, she's just another body. Right. Anna sort of wants to instate a puppet government really with her in control and Serverland as the figurehead. Right. And there's this one sort of kind spokesperson. Of like, uh, what, Bounty? Bounty. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, when you think about it, yeah, they really are just Federation. You know, you think, like, if Anna succeeded, would this have just been Federation 2.0? Probably, yeah. There's this Probably, one, yeah. She's discussing this with this one guy who's sort of the spokesperson for all of the mm-hmm. quote-unquote troopers, the rebels, basically. And you get the impression here that he wants his own slice of the pie as well. You right. Know? <laughs> I mean, it's every, everybody wants a slice of the pie, really, and that's why... That's why all of Serverland's plans fail, for example, because <laughs> everybody wants to be the best. And, and then just. And when you think about it, Travis was a huge mess up in him, just in his own ways, but that's maybe part of the reason why A, Serverland kept him around for a long time, and B, why he was able to, or like why he didn't vie for power as much, is because all he wanted to do was kill Blake. Like he didn't care about anything yeah. after a while. He didn't care about becoming Federation president or Supreme <laughs> Commander or whatever. He just wanted to kill Blake. Not like, you know, all those other people who Serverland have to, like, who Herbaland has to right like Daryl and Ginkgo were definitely yeah. vying for power or she has to convince them to help her because she's like if you win you can have the Liberator or like if you kill Blake you can have the Liberator <sighs> classic Federation <laughs> anyway I think they just sweep all this under the rug for now they're like we'll, we'll just figure out when we're on stage and they go into the room <laughs> but one of the guys from the security room survived and he's contacted the Federation right so they're coming but Avon's, then Avon but Avon's pals, also coming. They arrive coming in the security you. room and they pick him off the ground. I'm like, you're going to show us where Serverland is or we're going to kill you right now. And he's like, okay, okay. <laughs> like, all right, I guess I have no choice. I'm not even in control right now, but okay. <laughs> I just want to make it through alive. <laughs> I think he does, doesn't he? I think he does. I don't, actually, they should, like shove him on the ground, I believe, at some point, And we're just left. Yeah, we don't I think, know he's, whether he's I think he survives. I'm going to yeah. go with he survives. <laughs> There's that the other second in command who gets gunned down yeah. right at the end he by Servo yeah, and he, he dies. <laughs> Poor dude. He was so close to making it out of the story alive. Yeah, he's like one of those guys who makes it out of everything and just trips and hits his head. <sighs> Avon goes down to, to the basement. Meet they, have, they have Servo and chained in the basement. On the ground. And Avon's not wearing his studded leather in this, but you know, if he were. <laughs> Oh, no. 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 <laughs> Avon holds a gun to Serverland and is like, if you tell me where Anna is, or Bartholomew, actually, he says, where's Bartholomew? Where's Bartholomew? Where is he? <laughs> He's like, if you tell me where he is, I'll set you free. He says, I'll let you go. And then Tarrant is like, well, you'll set her free. And Avon's like, well, what's the difference? He's like, well, if you, you know, there's a revolution that's going on right now. No, sorry. Avon says he'll let her go or set her free. And Terrence's like, no, you'll let her go. And he's like, well, what's the difference? And Terrence's like, well, you have to convince her this revolution hasn't happened if you're setting her free, except this revolution has happened. So all you can do is let her go. Right. And this is, I think this is sort of speaking to like, you know, the 
this almost successful coup is going to haunt Servalan, right? She's right. never going to feel like she's really in control anymore. She's never going to be set free from this revolution, basically, right. or from the events of this day. Right. And Avon's like, ah, for once, Tarrant, you're right. <sighs> but at least she won't be in chains anymore if she bloody helps me. Meanwhile, Callie and Dana are upstairs uh, kind of guarding and they see Anna go downstairs because Anna wants to go talk with Servaland because she wants to kind of gloat but also find out what the hell is going on with this Federation thing that Servaland's trying to start. And, and she also wants to to unchain... I think her ultimate goal, her ideal here is get Servaland on stage and have her promise in front of all these people that she's going to be their, their figurehead. Yeah. So she goes downstairs. Dana and Callie follow because they're like, hey, that's kind of weird. She's not like a Federation officer or anyone else. So they follow we didn't, her. We didn't actually mention her outfit, but she's she has this sort of blue. I thought uh, it was like greeny. Yeah, blue, bluish green. It's like turquoise almost. And she's, she's wearing a cape. That's what sort of sets it apart from the norm, I guess. I don't know what the and norm that's why is. She's like, I'm the rebellion. <laughs> I am the rebellion. And... She goes downstairs to the jail cell and Tarrant and, and Avon hear her coming so they move out of the way because uh, at this point Avon still thinks Chescu is Bartholomew so he's right. asking Servaland where Chescu is and she's like oh you don't know anything like you don't know anything and then Anna busts in Avon's like Anna? And Anna's like he, Avon? He, he pulls the gun on her I think I didn't pay attention as much as I should have but I think he holds it like a, an old revolver he pretty does. sure he does he does, and I want to mention something about that in just a second, in a little bit. Really? We mention it every week, because he does it every but week. But I want to mention something else about it, not about Avon, actually. All right. But what happens is... There's a conversation between a- Avon and Anna, and they sort of go into their backstories. Their love life. And Avon's like, the you know... dirty I, details. I, That's where he got the leather outfit oh from. Oh, God. <laughs> Avon, well, he says, I, you know, I thought you died. And Anna's like, well, you, you really don't know the truth, do you? He's like, yeah, I didn't come back because I thought you were dead. I came back also to kill the people who killed you. And Anna's like, well, I'm not dead. And then Avon starts to piece it together because he's like... He hears these, we hear these like overlaid voices. Which is just Shrinker being like, everyone you looked at was taken away by Bartholomew. Yep. Bartholomew's the one. And then Avon's like, why does nothing go my way? <laughs> he puts it all together that Anna was Bartholomew and that she was in on the entire plot from the beginning. Yeah. And he turns and shoots her right as she grabs a knife. And then he holds her as she dies. And, and she's and, like, well, I, mean, he, I knew if you ever came back, you'd figure it out and I'd have to kill you. Right. And here's the thing. He, he holds her as she dies and he kisses her, if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. as she dies or right after she dies. And this is interesting because, you know, in some way, Anna is still alive from him. This person who was really only like information, who was really just sort of this fake persona. You know, he still, he, he puts, it's like what he said before. It's a matter of what we see and whether or not we believe it. And, you know, he saw Anna. He he still remembers and loves Anna. And, you know, he still believes it. I mean, he loved her. Love is a feeling that's very overwhelming and powerful and difficult to change. Right. Even when it turns out the person you love is a complete traitor, like Anna is in this case, or like sold you out. Like, it's difficult to just be like, well, I don't love you anymore because love is such a powerful emotion and feeling. Yeah, and, and here's the thing. I know this is actually going to sound cliched, but like, what is, is what Avon and Anna, quote unquote, went through like fake because of all of this? Is that mm-hmm. invalidated because of all of this? And that's, right. I don't have an, I'm not answering, I'm not asking that rhetorically. Like, I don't have an answer to that. Mm-hmm. It's also like, well, was their love real? I mean, Avon fell in love with Anna. Did he fall in love with Sula or whatever yeah, her did real he name is? Did he fall in love with, the real person or was it just like her cover identity but when you know when she's dying she says like oh this is all real like i still love you avon and you know there's a lot of interesting questions right and this is actually you know i i sort of ragged on the romance in city at the edge of the world and to some extent also hostage but this is one that actually works for me because this is actually related to this question of belief that seriously is asking i think well, maybe it also works for you because they really put a fine cap on this and yeah. kill her off. Yeah, it's not really like romance. It's like, you know... She's dying. She's dying. <laughs> I still liked it, though. I think it was good. I guess we're all heartbroken for Avon now because the love of his life is dead. 
for real now and he held her in his arms while she died can you imagine the emotional roller coaster avon went through them this episode yeah I mean, he thought she was dead so he was going for revenge but then he finds out she's alive so he's all happy but then he realizes she's a traitor and then he's the one who has to kill her and then she dies in his arms i mean that's enough to ruin any man but I let mean, alone ker avon <laughs> strongest man in the world apparently emotionally well, this is actually a good point because this is something similar between Avon and Servalan. I think we talked about how Servalan is going to be held captive by this fear and this idea that a revolution could succeed. Mm-hmm. And I think Avon is sort of, he's he's held captive by this idea of Anna, right? Like this person who was, was just really an idea in someone's mind. This person who was thought up as a cover for whatever it was. Right. And man, I don't know. It's, yeah, he's, he's. He would never. He's never able to run away from like from that. You know, he he came back to it in the end. I mean, at the end, he puts his love aside and he kills her. I, I guess because of the great sense of betrayal he feels, because huh. she's a Federation agent, or at least she was, and then she flips sides. So that's actually another thing that's not even touched on at all in this episode. Bartholomew was a Federation agent. That means that Anna was a Federation agent and now she's rebelling, which means she flips sides at some point. Or, or, or if, she's we're still working. I don't believe this because of what we see in this episode, but she's still working with the Federation or slash Servalan. Well, I think what actually happens is that this is just another instance of those second of commands trying to take power that always undermines the Federation. Yeah. In this episode, she might even still be working for the Federation for this episode because Chescu, she was married to Chescu. She says that she didn't love Chescu and Chescu didn't love her when she left Avon, but he sheltered her. She probably maybe even still works for the Federation and just in this moment saw an opportunity to take right. power. Yep. Could be any number of things, really. And this is, like Avon said in Harvest of Kairos, a matter of what we see and what we believe. Well, she's dead, so there's no (laughs) way we're going to find out now. And this is where Servaland massively lucks out. Yeah, because Avon frees her. Avon, like he says, is a man of his word, and at the end of the day, that's all he has. Yep. He frees her. Well, he lets her go. And then she picks up a gun and holds it to Avon's head because everybody else beams out. And Avon's taking off his bracelet, I guess, to be with Anna in her dying moments. And then Servaland's like, put the bracelet on. And he puts it on. She's like, I'm going to send back a corpse. But then Avon really lucks out right now because a random second in command runs in and Servaland turns to shoot him right at the moment Avon teleports away. And she looks back and Avon's not there and you just see this look on her face like, oh, damn it. And this is what I wanted to bring up about being held like a six shooter when Servaland turns to shoot this guy. She does it too. She does it too. (laughs) Nice. Which I don't know if there's anything to that, if there's any kind of parallels to try to draw with Avon because, you know, Servaland and Avon kissed in Aftermath. Maybe. If the and or Jacqueline Avon, Pierce is like, I can do it too. Avon gets real close to her face when he's talking with her, whether or not there's something going on here. I don't know, but I just thought it was interesting as the final note I had for this episode. Is Servaland six shooter question mark? See, I keep my notes brief <laughs> and short. And I just thought it was interesting. Yeah, I didn't actually notice it. But they get back up. There's some banter between them as there usually is. It's not really banter so much as Tarrant going, so rumors of your death are greatly exaggerated. And then uh, Avon goes, not so exaggerated as you might think, and walks away. We didn't touch on our what would Blake do moment. And it's basically the same thing it's for both of us. Both of us had the we, same what would Blake do moment. And it's like we, right we when Avon meets with Servalan. We didn't think of new ones, though, because we wanted to keep this organic. So if they're, right. the, if they're the same, then they're the same. Yeah, so, I mean, the way I kind of thought about it was like, well, Blake would, wouldn't would free Servalan. He would, like, torture the information out of her or whatever, or get the information out of her or whatever. But I really don't think Blake at the end would shoot her cuffs and let her free like Avon did. Yeah, mine was basically the same you know, thing. I said he wouldn't put his personal objectives over, you know, Servalan being right there and, mm-hmm. you know, in a position to be taken out. Right. I mean, we've seen Blake let Servalan and Travis go before. Just like he doesn't kill them when he has the opportunity to, but I don't think he would explicitly set her free in this instance. Like, but, I don't think he's as much of a man of of his word as Avon is, for example. And you also have to think about why he set them free, right? There's that one in Seek, Locate, Destroy. He sets Travis free because he's like, you know, now you're... He, he says something along the lines of like, you know, Travis, you're scared of me and I know how you operate. So killing you would not be in my best interest. Yeah. Something like that. Exactly. 
Overall, I think a good episode. I think this is one of the best. Yeah, I think, again, the only thing that drags it down for me, at least, is that it's just in this house, which is, it, it's fine, I guess. It's not too big of a detractor. Yeah. No, I think it works. Everything, I think, comes together in the story. I really like how it's a, uh, a um, uh, what's what's the, it's a, it's a contained Avon story. It's like, it, Avon has his. His time in the sun. His time His in chance the sun. to shine. Right. His moment of. Glory, I don't know. There's a couple more. There's good quotes from this. There's a couple more I want to point out that just draws the parallels between Avon and Servaland and what they're trying to do. There's a scene where Villa asks something. He he asks Avon, don't we, referring to the Liberator crew, uh, get a say in this? And Avon says, by all means, stay away. And in this moment, Avon, he like re-democratizes, I think. You know, these multi- this multiplicity of, like, viewpoints, these multiple mm-hmm. opinions. Whereas, you know, Servalan, and Servalan actually frames this in an interesting way. We touched on, like, how she wants to reestablish this monolith of information and truth and, and stuff. But she frames this in an interesting way. She has a line, it's the duty of surveillance to keep track of everyone. And she frames it as a duty. Right. It's like something you have to do. Like, the ones, the people in power have this, like, duty to control the information and keep track of everything and surveil everything. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I I guess because that was just the life she grew up with, right? The Federation always being in total control of information. But I don't know what that's Mm -hmm. saying. Yeah, we haven't gotten, and I know a little bit about this. I don't think I know the whole story. We haven't gotten some of Servaland's motivations, why she's so Mm -hmm. hungry for power. Right. We don't know her backstory either, her childhood. Right. You know, we don't actually know a lot about Servaland when you really think about it. We don't really know anything almost. Right. Except that she likes to drink blue milk okay. after anyway <laughs> I actually surprisingly don't have much else to say about the story because I said everything I wanted to during the plot summary yeah I pretty much touched on everything we do have an email from Sergeant Drano that we can read out now and respond to yep. which may prompt some more discussion hey guys so rumors of death man what a great episode this is I know I'm sending these emails to you guys ahead of time yes this email arrived on the 14th of July so uh, a month ago, actually, since we're recording this. <laughs> so if you haven't seen this episode yet, do not read this email until you have spoilers following. This is such a great episode. I hate to spoil anything for you. Leading with Avon, captured and tortured. Doesn't even have any shoes. More desperate looking than we've ever seen him. Oh, wow. I didn't notice that. I'm looking forward to hearing you guys' thoughts on the scene. Did you think you'd skipped an episode? Were you surprised when the tables were suddenly turned? Avon's pretty hard letting himself be tortured for five days without giving his name just to get to Shrinker. Shrinker turns into a quivering mass on the Liberators, the crew taunt him. Callie feels uncomfortable with all this. How did you guys feel? Did you pity Shrinker? Was this behavior from our heroes too petty, too unheroic? I think we've touched on that already. I don't think so, because they're not really heroes. Yeah, they're not heroes. They're not good people either. It's like explicitly made out multiple times on the show that they're not heroes. Right. And we, might, we shouldn't be rooting for these people we might see them do. We might see them do heroic things from time to time, but overall, you know, these are... Mm-hmm. People who are mostly out for themselves. And, and we might see them as heroes because they're the protagonists, and that's generally how right. protagonists are portrayed. And then another brilliant double turnaround with Counselor Chescu giving us some exposition about a reunified Federation, derided by his wife, only to be confronted with Federation troopers. Is Chescu a traitor? No, the troopers are fake, and his wife Sula is resistance. Bang, he's dead. Some really great efficient storytelling happening here. We're introduced to Major Grenley and Section Leader Forrest. Seemed like a couple of regular guys, fairly likable. I found myself rooting for them in a little in spite of myself. You... <laughs> cool little variation on the teleport effect with us teleporting down from the perspective of Avon and Shrinker, the background changing behind them. Avon has a cool gun too, and then we finally get a face for Anna Grant, one of the few people Avon ever cared about. I'm curious to know if you guys realize at this point that Anna and Sula are the same person. You'd think it would be obvious, but I find that about 50% of first-time viewers, myself included, didn't realize that Sula is Anna until it's finally revealed later in the episode. Shrinker also tells us about Bartholomew, that Bartholomew must have killed Anna. When did you guys figure out who Bartholomew was uh, when Avon said it? I didn't piece that together at all. (laughs) Uh, and there was kind of a metafictional thing where Bartholomew, metafictional, metaphorical thing where Bartholomew did kill Anna because the personality of Bartholomew killed this Anna personality and she just became Sula, if you really think about it. Grenley and Forrest send a team out to investigate the perimeter. Interesting that Forrest makes the right call that they should lock it all down, but the more experienced Grenley overrides him, telling they can't shut down the beaches just because a giant shark is swimming around eating people. It would hurt tourism. 
Some great scenes with Avon and Shrinker finally extracting that Bartholomew is somehow connected to Counselor Chescu, and then another classic Avon moment, leaving Shrinker one way out and teleporting up after Avon coldly tells Shrinker, I've done far worse than kill you, I've hurt you, and I wish to go on hurting you. I shall leave you as you left me, as you left her, marooned for all eternity in the center of a dead planet buried alive. Jesus. I didn't remember him being oh, yeah. that cold and dark. <laughs> Jesus. Avon. Next, we see Sulu's rather brilliant plan to get her forces through the perimeter by posing as Federation troopers and a ringer for Chescu. Poor Major Grenley thinks he has everything under control, but he's being played like a violin. Confusion follows with Federation troopers shooting each other. Good staging with the assault on the compound and Grenley and Forrest gunned down in cold blood. And finally, Sulu's forces bust down Serland's door and the president is at their mercy. He gets a good smack off. Good smack for mouthing off, too. Meanwhile, unaware the revolution is in progress, Avon is determined to confront Serverland directly and blow the top off her head off sh- if she doesn't give him Bartholomew. Wow. On Earth, Sula and Hob argue about whether Serverland is more useful alive or dead. What do you guys think? What would have been the smartest course of action if you had been in their position? Uh, if I was in their position, Serverland was dead before she even yeah. got captured. Avon and Co. teleport down and sneak into the compound, ironically taking out Federation troopers that are actually resistance guys. They find the mortally wounded Major Grenley, who tells them where Serverland is. Tarrant, yes, Major, you're dying, but that's what you paid for. Ouch. Then they find her, Serverland beaten and chained up in the cellar, and OMG, there's some terrific dialogue here. Avon, is that it? Have you finally lost your nerve? Have you murdered your way to the wall of an underground room? <laughs> Serverland, it's an old wall. Avon, it waits. I hope you don't die before you reach it. And the final tragic twist, Serverland's recognition of the name Anna when asked about Bartholomew, Avon's realization that Anna is Bartholomew just as she draws on him and he shoots her. She dies in his arms and in despair, Avon takes off his teleport braces as Federation troopers storm the compound. Serverland is going to send up a corpse, but in a moment of distraction, Avon escapes. So Major Gremley, Gremley came through after all. His actions calling in reinforcements probably saved the Federation. In contrast, Avon had a chance to destroy Serverland's power by either blowing the top of her head off or simply leaving her to be found in disgrace, chained to that wall. It feels like Avon and Serverland are really being set up as nemeses at this point. Serverland thinks Avon is behind the revolution. Even though he's not, Avon feels very much in command this episode with Tarrant as his number two. I think you guys would also agree that Avon very much acts in character as Avon this episode. He is not really becoming more like Blake. He's less interested in revolution and more concerned with personal vendettas. We also have what it feels like the closest we've come so far to the Federation being out and out overthrown by the Resistance. Fantastic episode. One of the best. Seven out of seven. Kerboy Avon count two. See attached Sergeant Drano station seven on the door. <laughs> I need a drink. Yeah. Maybe some creme de menthe. Yeah, a couple things I want to touch on in that. Yeah, we, we mentioned at the beginning of this season how we you know, had heard stuff like Avon becomes more like Blake and stuff, and I don't really see that playing out. I th- he still feels very Avon-like to me. Yeah, he does. Definitely to me, especially in this story where it's this story wouldn't have happened if Blake was on the show at right. all in any capacity. There was no way this was happening. You also bring up something. You, you talk about how you know they're gunning down these Federation troopers that are actually rebels, right? And the mm-hmm. irony of that, and that is, you got, you know, I'm, I'm thinking now like this is like at the most boiled down, like simplified level. Series C is about like you know what you see isn't what you get, right? Right. You know, and I don't know, man, like. That's it's it's there too. It's uh, and that's that's a actually that's a very kind of scary thought in, when you're watching a show like right. you, like when yeah, you watch it, you, when you watch a TV it. like the entire assumption is what you see yeah. is what you get. Yeah, and I think Blake Seven specifically Series C is doing some really trippy stuff with that. Yeah, I don't really have much to comment on the email because I feel like we responded to a lot of it actually in this episode. Yep. And I'm going to just take a quick skim through the email, make extra sure about that. There wasn't anything I want to talk about. Yeah, so there's nothing else I really want to respond to here in your email, Sergeant Trainer, but thank you for emailing us. Yep. I do feel like we addressed everything you talked about in the actual episode, conveniently, I suppose. We have two other emails besides the one from Sergeant Trainer that we're going to respond to. The first one. Uh, is from Carl, who emailed us many, many weeks ago. He's actually the one who asked us to uh, talk about what Doctor Who was airing around the episode of Blake 7. Right. So he says, thanks for referencing contemporary Doctor Who screening time at the beginning of each podcast. I do feel a little guilty for asking for this, as it does require a little bit more research, but the feeling soon wears off. Connecting to my impressions during original screening, I do recall connecting the theme of the search for Star 1 in Series B with the search for a key to time arc. That's an interesting connection. I've just watched Children of Auron, 
I felt it started well, got a little bogged down in the middle and had a cracking finish few actors can make being motherly, more scary than being seductive than the inspired JP. This was a story where nobody won. Dana was new Gan again and Avon with characteristic empathy at the end. Tarrant, how's Callie? Avon sleeping, she's fine. Probably peeved he got distracted by this disastrous trap instead of enjoying sweet revenge back on Earth. Really enjoyed your guest on the city at, on the edge last week. I think you mean Harvest of Kairos. You have yeah. commented a few times of Serverland's lack of bra. Whilst I have not done a detailed study, my observation is that none of the women seem to be wearing bras where the costume allows us to be noticeable. This is a symbol for feminism at the time. Regards, Carl from Sydney. It's still a symbol for feminism, actually not wearing a bra. Hashtag free the nipple. Uh, yeah, the, he, Although the movement now is more like, why a woman not allowed to be shirtless, but not wearing a bra is still kind of a symbol of, of body positivity, I guess. Yeah, that's that's actually interesting that you bring that up, and that's not really something that I had noticed, but like, yeah, the the... And actually hesitate to say feminism because, like, there's so many different, I don't know what you call them, branches Brands of feminism, feminism, some of which, like, completely disagree with each other <laughs> that, like, I don't know that we can just say feminism is, like, a singular thing. Um, but, like, yeah, that that is something associated with at least some parts of mm-hmm. different feminist movements. De- definitely, I think, from still today, but also really prominently from an earlier time, you know, the short hair, right. no bra, stuff like that. Definitely. Um, don't feel guilty. Yeah. yeah. Don't. I would say don't feel guilty about asking us to look up the Doctor Who stuff because that yeah. even helps it put it in pr- perspective for us too. So right. And it's good to know. Helps us place it mentally, temporally, I guess. And then we also have an, uh, another email from Maurice in response to our response to his email last week. Remember last week he emailed us about the Delta symbol and about the Federation logo in Blake Seven, and we responded to it a bit, and he has. Responded. He also said a couple other things. Part of the reason why we completely nixed the quiz section. <laughs> anyway, hi again. Thanks for reading my previous letter at the cap of episode 33 and replying to it. As regards the preponderance of triangles in aerospace context, well, let's face it, they point up. Plus, there's also the aerospace T term Delta V, pronounced Delta V, written as a Greek letter Delta V, meaning change in velocity. As you said, Delta introduced the logo in the late 50s, 1959, in fact, with its first jet service. If you look at the attached vintage image, which I'll put in the show notes, you'll see how the white split in said logo apes the shape of a spent back wing. I think you mean swept back wing. In the case of NASA's meatball logo, <laughs> the swoopy red arrowhead Delta was inspired by a twisted and cambered supersonic wing model as described in the link that follows, which I'll also put in the show notes. Star Trek's Arrowhead logo was referred to in at least one internal memo as the Flying A. An early, blunt-tipped version can be seen on a 1964 sketch for a field jacket by costume designer William Ware Thice. Put that also in the show notes. As to my comment about pruning the circular arguments, my concern wasn't about what you were discussing. It's that you both kept saying the same thing over and over without leading anywhere. So in that instance, I meant pruners and trim the redundancy rather than whack out the argument. Hope that clarifies things. Cheers, Maurice. In regards to the Delta logo being used a lot uh, in aerospace related things it's probably because about the 50s and 60s you know because i went and looked up nasa was founded about in the 50s yeah i looked it up for the notes too so it should be in the notes for that episode but i don't remember what it was what exact year that's a lot of the time that like supersonic and jet engines were really coming to be uh, at the forefront and it was discovered that a delta shaped wing was more aerodynamically efficient for those types of airplanes than a straight wing that had been kind of the norm since then if you look at a lot of the early jet fighters of the united states it's kind of like the p-59 it has a straight wing but later jet fighters they realized that it was a lot more aerodynamically efficient and just easier to maneuver if you use a delta shaped wing uh, and doing that i guess that's where a lot of these logos come from Delta-shaped wings are just kind of better. Really, if you the most famous and the biggest delta-shaped wing, the most obvious is is, is uh, the, the Concorde. If you look at the Concorde, that has a massive. It's actually not exactly a delta. It started as a delta in the original planning stages, but they realized that at the speeds the Concorde would be going and the speed ranges that it had to go through, it was more efficient to use kind of a. Uh, I don't remember the name of it, but it it refers to the shape of like an archway like an almost an arabian archway that has the like large curve and then it comes to a point at the top similar shape to that but it started as a delta wing so there's your fun facts about delta wings we do have one other email from rg it's rather short but we wanted to bring it up because it directly answers something we brought up i i I think last week i think last week 
because you seemed interested, Zenith is the number three Blake 7 podcast in Australia. It's beaten by launching the pilot and Spacefall. Oh, gee, I didn't know about launching the pilot. And yeah, we're actually, we are number three. If you search Blake 7, we are number three here in the US on Apple Podcasts, but we're the number two, I think we're the number two Blake 7 podcast. We, if, I'm, if I remember correctly, launching the pilot is a podcast that reviews first episodes and pilots of TV shows. It's not necessarily okay. a Blake 7 podcast. But it is second, which is a little sad when you just type in Blake 7 and we're not above them, but whatever. It's fine. They might have more listenership than us. They do. That's fine, They though. do. I'm pretty sure I would bet Good that money. they do. Yeah. So those are our emails for this week. If you would like to email us, you can reach us at thedoctordecadentvegetable.com. Questions, comments, concerns, thank you, and Love that is your thoughts on Avon's tragic love life. You can find us on YouTube at Decorative Vegetable. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Google Play at Zenith of Blake 7 Podcast. Be sure to leave a rating if you like the show. Check us out on Facebook. Trust your doctor. Like us on Facebook. Also check us out on Twitter at TYD Podcast. And follow us on Twitter. And next time we're watching uh, Sarcophagus with, and again, RG is going to be on that episode with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, but until then, the end. <laughs>